everyone. Welcome back to Central American Voices. This is Susan Garcia. Hola, bienvenidos a Voces Centroamericanas. Mi nombre es Alejandra Quiroz. Le agradecemos por sintonizarnos una vez más. On today's episode, we'll talk with Bessie Flores Saldivar, who is currently in Tegucigalpa, and she's going to talk to us about what's happening in Honduras with COVID-19. Welcome, Bessie. Hi, Susan. Hi, Alejandra. It's, I'm so grateful for you to having me here on the podcast. Uh, yeah. Um, I was born here in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, and I lived here all my life until I was 19 when I moved to the States for studying reasons. Now I've been living in the States for four years. Um, I was I was an English major, and now I'm getting my Master of Fine Arts in Fiction at Virginia Tech. I'm a writer, both Spanish and English. Uh, I write poetry, I write fiction. Uh, my Spanish poetry is focused really on everything going on in Honduras, which, which is a lot. Uh, for the past few years and that's pretty much that's pretty much what I do uh, I'm also queer I'm a lesbian so I can speak to that experience of growing up um, you know as a queer person in Honduras thank you thank you Vessi for being with us today um, thank you for taking your time to sit down and talk about you know what's the situation in Honduras as you're you know currently over there how's the COVID situation started taking over Honduras Right. So uh, the first case here was reported on March 10th, and it was two cases at once. And the response seemed very fast. Like less than a week later, the country had been shut down. The airport was closed. There were no one was allowed in or out of the country. And um, people were ordered to stay home immediately. Like there was a total lockdown. And so a lot of money like in many other countries, a lot of money was set for this pandemic to combat this pandemic, right? But mm -hmm. what, what we're seeing now is the result of that money being stolen, mishandled, um, given away, used for something mm -hmm. else, etc. So what is big in Honduras right now, what is like the big trend in, in Twitter everywhere is hashtag donde está el dinero? Because even though... Um, yes. Can give you a, I can yes. give you the exact amount of money that was that was predisposed for this. It's one hundred mm -hmm. one hundred eighty three millions of dollars that was set for for this pandemic thing, right? Even though mm -hmm. that amount of money was authorized, um, a lot of things that were promised ha have not been made a reality. For instance, you know the mm -hmm. the big thing right now is los hospitales móviles, the mobile hospitals that the government yeah. was supposed to buy seven of them and they were supposed to be here in Honduras by June mm -hmm. but that did not happen so people started asking like where are the where are the hospitals because mm -hmm. the health system is completely collapsed like there mm -hmm. are no available beds in hospitals yes. if you want to get a bed you need to wait for someone else to die which is you know it sounds extremely mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just messed up mm -hmm. so uh two of the mm -hmm. seven hospitals came last week on July 14th and they haven't even been like taken out of the boat uh, or, you know, checked. The person who was in charge of doing this purchase has been fired. He's being investigated by, by the government. People don't really trust this process because it is our experience that often mm -hmm. corruption is not, it's not punished by any form of law in this, in Honduras. So mm -hmm. ever since all of that went up in the air, that hashtag took a lot of light. Power, donde está el dinero? Everyone wants to know where is the mm -hmm. money. And I mean, so far, it seems like 
th- those two hospitals that did come, it seems like it's going to take a month more for them to even set them up. And then the other five might mm-hmm. never come. And when they do, it's going to take another month for them to set them up. And they don't actually have the spaces to do it mm-hmm. or the spaces they have thought of don't actually work for this. But the reality is that people are dying every day and whatever money was supposed to help the health, the already collapsed health system is just, it's just gone. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to see any form of justice be done. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I think that is very important to point that out. Um, is it when the Congress approved the money, how many hospitals did they say they were going to do? It was more than, I don't know if you have the, the exact number of hospitals. I think they said they were going to construct like 90 hospitals, which was absolute, like, yes. it was an absolute fantasy. Um, you know, mm, of the money, yeah, definitely. Of the money that was approved, 26% of it went to this purchase of the of the mobile hospitals, right? About 2% of yeah. it uh, went for uh, purchasing pills and stuff that would help, like treatment. Mm-hmm. And less than 1%, less than 1% has been used to actually help improve the infrastructure of the existing hospitals because public hospitals in Honduras are like El Hospital Escuela, El Tegucigalpa, El Torax, like... Those are places where you, without a pandemic, people have a really mm. hard time getting seen. Uh, you know, it's very mm. common for people to just sleep outside or sleep in the holes. And now, of course, it's 500 mm-hmm. times worse. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was a total, like, like per usual, it was a bunch of fake empty yeah. promises. Yeah, because I, I remember when um, that was said about how many hospitals they were trying to build with that money. And I even remember saying, my mom, this is completely lie. Like they haven't mm-hmm. done not even one hospital for the past, I don't know, those eight years, like, or six, I don't know how many he has, but um, mm-hmm. he hasn't built not even one. The the Hospital Escuela, we all know how bad it is. Like there's a line of waiting. And this is without COVID, mm-hmm. COVID like, you go for like a pedir una cita and la cita te va a llegar hasta el otro año. Like it's, it's, it's even exactly. like unrealistic how it happens. There's not medicines and, and like in the pharmacy. And this was be, before everything. So I always try to imagine with all this, like we already had a collapse, you know, health system, how it, how it can be now. And as we can see is it was five, 10 times, a hundred times worse because the money that was, you know, put into this, it was never, um, you know, for for the help of of the country and the people. Um, uh, one thing that I was discussing with my with my cousin, as my cousin um, got um, el coronavirus, you know, mm-hmm. in this past month, um, she was saying how much does the um, actual the test cost? And for me, that was yeah. amazing. How she told me, knowing that I I, I completely understand how the situation, how the high level of poverty is in the country, and knowing that that number is completely ridiculous to charge just to get one test, especially yeah. now that I was like, that is ridiculous. No one can even pay for it. Exactly. I don't know if you want to talk about how much uh, does it cost and what is the process and the other option. Cause I know there's one that is, you know, el, el isopado and the other one mm-hmm. is the blood test. And then yeah, the different, yeah. And the difference. And cause my, my family have done both. And then there's mm-hmm. one time one came out negative but then the other one became positive, yes, which is for me, it's like, common. I don't, I don't, I don't trust those results. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if you want to touch more about yes. that. So my family, uh, we were, we also got COVID in the past month, um, mm-hmm. towards the end of June. 
till now. So my, my grandma, I live with my grandma and my mom and, and my two siblings. We are like one of those households that's just all women and one boy. So um, my grandma was the first one to show up with symptoms, which wasn't surprising at all because it like it got to the point where she needed to go to work, right? Like she she's a seamstress and she's the one who brings most of the money home. And, mm-hmm. you know, we just needed to, which is the situation with a lot of people here in the country. Like they can't just stay home without any sort of help. Mm-hmm. So she was the first one who showed up with symptoms and... Um, she lost her, her sense of smell and her sense of taste, which was like the big tell, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, she had fevers and so on. So she goes and gets tested and they tell her she has dengue, which was like, mm, okay, you know, dengue is pretty bad. We've had it also here at my house and it's yeah. terrifying. And um, so we went with that. And then I lost my sense of smell and taste. And then my mom did. And she had pretty, pretty bad fevers. And we were sort of like in denial. And she goes and gets the test done with my sister, the blo- not with my grandmother, sorry. And it's the blood test and they come out negative, both of mm-hmm. them. So that one is around 850 lempiras, let's say $30. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one is pretty cheap, like not cheap, but like it's way cheaper than the other one, uh, which is just unpayable, at least a profile. It's like, I- I've heard it's like, 4,000 lempiras, 5,000 lempiras. We've never done it because yeah. we, just, we just don't have that kind of money. So uh, they think they're negative. They think, okay, then it's just a really bad cold or it's, it really is dengue or whatever. And then my mom has like this lingering cough, like a, like mm. a small... <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my, my aunt is talking on the phone with her. She's a doctor, my aunt. And she's like, you know what? Just to be safe, just go check your lungs. Like, Mm-hmm. Just go check your lungs. So she goes and gets her, her lungs checked. Uh, she has like an x-ray done, which was, uh, I believe, 400 lempiras, 400 lempiras. And it comes out that she has uh, a small, uh, like a, a weak pneumonia, which is consistent with COVID. Mm-hmm. So we're like, of course, we, of course, that was what we had. And then my sister gets mm-hmm. sick and she also loses her taste of smell and and taste. And then they take us both to get the test done and I come out positive and she mm-hmm. comes out negative, but pos- positive for uh, the antibody. So she had already gone through it. Mm-hmm. So it was like, of course, every, all of us had a COVID mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. overall, like my mom says that she spent more than 10,000 lempiras in getting all mm-hmm. of us tested, getting medicines for all of us, getting x-rays, getting CTs, Etc. 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 Which is like so much money, and that is without you know taking into account the fact that you like I was there in the line to get tested in the lab, right, to get the blood test, and it mm-hmm. gets to a point where the guard who is outside tells you like you have to come back tomorrow because we are we're all out of tests. Like this is it, and wow. it's like eleven a.m. in the morning, and you ask oh him like, okay, God. so so what time should I come back? Like what time Whoa. do you do you open? And they're like. Well, people are outside making line from 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even, yeah. If, even if the place opens at like 8 a.m., 7 a.m., it's like outside earlier than that. So, yeah. And, and then to get to get the medicine or whatever, you, you literally go to every single pharmacy in the city because they have this, but they don't have that. They have this, but it's unpayable. They don't mm-hmm. have this. And you just go all around looking for medicine and... 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's just crazy expensive and and crazy hard. Yeah, definitely. It that is one of you know. Thank you for touching on that because for me that was the the point where I was like I felt hopeless, right? So mm-hmm. for for from my point of view, it's like okay, my cousin got sick. That was close to my grandma. And for me, my biggest fear was my grandma's to get sick, right? But then my cousin was really, really, really sick and calling her. And I'm telling this, you know, and open, like in with an open heart that when I asked her, hey, maje, ¿por qué no te vas a hacer la prueba? She literally mm-hmm. told me, ¿Cómo quieres que saque más de cinco mil empiras? Alejandra, no los tengo. She works yep. in a call center. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oof. She works in a call center. You can say that at least she gets paid a little bit more of a minimum. Mm-hmm. This was a the, the girl that was looking through a FaceTime in bed with a high fever. When she got her, her test, it was negative. Like, yeah. I can, how can we trust even those things? Like, even it, like a result, you can even trust, like, you can even trust the result, you know? And then later on, like her uh, boyfriend got tested and it was negative, but then her boyfriend that got tested and then he got positive and then he went again to get tested. So imagine how many times you need to go to get tested to get positive. It, it, this is not even realistic of and we're talking about, you know, at least, you know, people that were able to pay, but what about those people that are not able to pay? And mainly doesn't Teusigalpa. If we go outside of Teusigalpa, how many tests have been done? You know, let's say, gracias a Dios, last time that I checked was like three tests. And gracias a Dios, like, that yeah. is even, that just even made me like go so mad because it's like, I mean, Honduras, no es que sea un país muy grande, pero, you know, and cada departamento has a lot of people. But, yep. you know, just to have three tests in one of the second largest department of the departamentos de Honduras, like, that's even no más, like, so dumb. And just even, to mention this is that the majority of the tests were donated. So why are they even charging? That that was my question that I want yeah. to ask you. Why why are they charging for those tests if the majority was donated? So my my understanding is that like if you go to el hospital escuela or el thorax or mm-hmm. one of those centros de triaje, which mm-hmm. is this new thing that they have open, right? That it's a bunch of places that don't have the infrastructure and like people literally last week two people died in line waiting to get tested. Um, they're supposed to be free there. Oh but God. if you go to a private, if you go to a private lab, it's, it's not free. And people, you know, people <laughs> try to go to a private lab because if you go to one of the public ones, it is absolutely saturated. Uh, people are scared of getting sick. So they, there's always that fear of what if I don't have it? And then I go and try to get tested and get it while getting tested. Mm-hmm. Right. And, also, they will turn you around if they've reached the limit of test. Like, mm-hmm. I guess people go to private labs because it's, it's their safest bed. But it would mm-hmm. not surprise me if in public places they're charging for the test. Like, it would not surprise yeah. me at all because this is how this is, <laughs> this is a fairly common thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the donation thing, uh, it's so it's so interesting that you bring it up because we have like the doctors, the hospital escuela asking for donations which is insane mm-hmm. like it's got like it's the it's the government's duty to give them whatever they need uh, we have the mm-hmm. doctors from El thorax organizing also fundraisers right and mm-hmm. it's just it's just so hard because no one has money right now here 
And by, by no one, I mean like the general population. There are, of course, the families that hoard the wealth of the country. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it has been really a, a thing of like, we got to help each other out because the government won't, mm-hmm. it will absolutely no, not show up for us. Exactly. Um, I don't know if you want to touch more right now that you've mentioned about um, the private labs, how many private mm-hmm. hospitals has refused to help people that have been infected with COVID? Yeah, um, a lot of private institutions have, uh, as expected, turned around anyone who has COVID and just, I don't, I, I really truly don't know if it is because of a lack of resources, which I find very hard to believe in private hospitals mm-hmm. uh, here in Honduras, but pretty much sure safe. But like what people say here is like, if you want to live, you go to, if you get really bad, right? And you want to live, you go to the hospital escuela or el thorax or el hospital militar, right? If there's mm-hmm. anyone in your family who has, who has been mm-hmm. part of the military. And like I said earlier, the thing with that is that you, you have to wait for, like, it sounds so horrible to say it, but you have to wait for someone to die to be admitted mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because there are yeah. no beds. And what's even worse is that the person who was in charge of managing everything with the with the pandemic, and I'm gonna say his name because you know it's Lisandro Rosales. Yeah. He keeps mm-hmm. saying the health system hasn't collapsed. The health system hasn't collapsed. Like mm-hmm. not that everything's fine, but the health system hasn't collapsed. And the doctors is like the doctors have been saying since April the health system has collapsed. We don't have los doctores wow. no tienen insumos. Like they're not yeah. they're not being given what they need to be protected. And yeah. Um, Plus, they're yeah, not paying and, them. Exactly. Plus, some of them are not even being paid. Uh, in Olancho, right now, there was a strike because the doctors were not being paid. So people have to go right. and expose themselves because, yeah, because the things we have experienced continue to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I don't know. It's just, just so hard to even, you know, it sounds horrible. And like I said, it sounds very bad. But this is like the reality of mm-hmm. um of how it has come to to be, especially in the past like four months um that has been you know a lockdown. Um, I know you mentioned like before how you know how everything started going in Honduras, but when this started to happen, when the start like with the beginning of the lockdown and started to happen, you weren't in Honduras. Um, how mm-hmm. was your return to Honduras? Because I, I'm familiar uh, uh, with Galilea. I don't know if, if you know uh, her. She's um, she works. Mm-hmm. She's the one that covers the Honduras news for the Central American um, news. Mm-hmm. Um, she yeah, she was stay. She I, I remember she stayed in Costa Rica for like a month. Yeah, she needed to get a salvo conducto, and then even you know many of her people like many people in my family have a salvo conducto especially my dad because they have been working but it's very hard to even get it let's say like when yes. you get to Honduras I just want to you know if you're the if you get to Toncontin donde te vas a quedar es Tegucigalpa okay cool but I feel mm-hmm. like when people let's say like llegas a Tegucigalpa for example Galilea needed to go all the way to uh, to Cihuatepeque it's very hard to get one so I don't know if you want to talk about how was your experience getting to Honduras and what was you know, the process that you needed to to do yeah, that was something. So I was finishing my first MFA year in Virginia, and I had to go to Miami. And my plan was to fly back to Virginia and then come home in May. 
for the summer, right? But then all of this happened. My school went online. Um, and I, I really wanted to come home, of course, because in my mind, what, what was going through was that I am not an American citizen. Like, sure, I have insurance, but if I get sick here in the States, like, there is no way I will be able to pay for it. So I'm trying to get home. I book a flight. It gets canceled. So, which was not, every flight was getting canceled, even though American Airlines continued to sell and they knew their flights were going to be canceled. And then mm. I ended up being able to come, in, to come home through United Airlines. So I had to go from Miami to Houston, from Houston to Beirut. And it was, it was probably one of the most stressful times for me to fly because we were constantly thinking we were going to have our second flight, the one home, canceled. And we had heard in the mm. news that a lot of people were stranded in Houston. Like I, at one point it was reported that over 500 wow. people were stranded in Houston. And what happens if you don't have family there? Like if you don't have money to pay for a hotel, if, like what do you do? And it was even in, in local news here in Honduras, uh, all these Hondurans that were stranded in the Houston airport waiting for any flight out and the government kept canceling them and kept canceling them. And so no one wow. could Yeah, it works out for me that that flight comes home. And that was the last flight to come home for like two weeks. But I was I was just lucky. So when I'm boarding the plane, it's obviously all Hondurans because only Honduran citizens were allowed to come home. Honduran citizens were residents. Uh, we're boarding the plane and there's this agent, like I don't I want to say airport agent, but I don't I truly don't know between the gate and the plane. Um, they're checking everyone's mm-hmm. visas, which is very weird because usually they just check your visa to come in. They won't check your visa to go out of the country. Um, and yeah. they're asking you, what what were you doing here? Like, what, why, why were you in the country? So a bunch of people, like they're stopping everyone. And this, this one guard is like asking, uh, what were you doing here? And you tell them. And he was like joking, I guess, his idea of joking with us. And he goes, were you also <laughs> here to pack, lem- to pack melons? And that was like asking every single one of us, which is like overtly racist. Yeah. So he's like, Were you also here to pack melons? Blah, blah, blah. And we get on the plane. United Airlines advertised we were doing social distancing, which is absolutely not true. Everyone was sitting next to everyone like a regular flight. So that absolutely did not happen. And then when we're getting to Peru's, they give us this like, five papers and they're like you need to read that and sign it it's a contract uh, you read it and you have to hand it to security at the Tung airport so i get mine and it's like a bunch of contracts that say that you understand that if you break quarantine you're going to, to prison for 14 years um and that if you get someone sick you're paying for their treatment and you're paying the government something oh. But it was like the oh same God. thing What's repeated five times in so many different papers, right? And you have to fill in your information where you're planning to where you're planning to stay, how long are you staying, where have you been? Um, and then we get we land and they, someone gets into the plane, takes our temperature, every one of us, and then we are asked to, you know, deplane and we're in this line for two hours trying to go through immigration. Two hours. And People, you know, the, the AC started off for some reason. It's it's very hot. People are desperate. <laughs> they want to get out of the airport, especially people who, like you said, Alhambra, are not going to Tegucigalpa. Like, they're going to somewhere mm-hmm. else. So that's not even the end of their trip, right? They have, like, a two-hour drive mm-hmm. somewhere else now. And there's a bunch of people on the plane that are both, we're, we're in the States, 
undocumented and were in this and could not read nor write. So they cannot fill out this mm-hmm. paperwork. So mm-hmm. I started filling out mine and some like the, the man behind me comes up and he's like, can you fill out mine? Cause I, and I'm like, like, do you need a pen? And he's like, no, 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 I cannot wow. read or write. Like I need you to fill it out. And of course the wow. one that has next to him and can, also cannot read or write is like, can you also help me? And it starts happening, right? People are asking help from other people who, who can read and write. So, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's this messy situation because of course everyone's scared of getting sick. No one wants to be next to each other. Uh, mm-hmm. No one wants to be sharing right. a pen. No one wants to mm-hmm. be talking close to the other person. So, mm-hmm. but you know, we get to filling out everyone's paperwork. Um, and, you know, you, you need to ask people to spell their name letter by letter and, and they tell you they don't know. So you kind of like just, we're just coming up with stuff and hoping there's like, wow. like it's good enough for the agent. And yeah, we right. were just there for two hours. Um, yeah, we were there for two hours and we turned in this paperwork. They told us like, we're going to check up on you. Like, we're going to make sure you're actually staying home or whatever. They absolutely did not, not didn't even call or anything. Um, wow. But yeah, that was that was a, a tough experience. Like it was very stressful. Everyone wanted to get out of the airport. People couldn't read ride. Um, we were just it was it was hot. The line was like it was a full plane. It was a full flight, and the number yeah. of people that were seeing us were three. Like there were just three doctors who would handle who were handling person by person. So it took forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds awful. It was yeah, so it does. Awful. I mean, I'm oh. still processing. Um, and I like I know I'm being quiet again because it's like I don't really. I mean, Alejandra obviously has more of understanding what's happening around Honduras, but even when she explained it to me, you know, like I'm just kind of just so in shock, you know, of how yeah. badly it's being handled and like the lack of support. Like when you said people died waiting in line, like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really harrowing and it's just, it's a lot to process, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, it, I'm just really in shock. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's honestly something that is very hard to believe, but it's very, very true. How right. every, it's, uh, it, um, it's just weird. I, I don't even, weird, hard, difficult, horrible, and everything that you can imagine. Uh, one of the things that for me, it was very hard to understand, Bessie. And mm-hmm. maybe you can elaborate more on this. How is the circulation? Because when my grandma told me, oh, yeah, you know, no más puedes salir, but when is the last number of your ID? Mm-hmm. And it's on 13 days, and then this and that. And I was just like, wait. I was like, wait, what? Like, if it was very confusing, you know, to me, how people can, you know, just get out, you know, and I know later they were trying to impose like, oh, you know, just by el último número de, del carro de placa, which for me, that was, I, I, I'm going <laughs> to say it, I laughed. I yeah. laughed so hard because it was the most, sorry for the word, most stupid thing that someone can even think <laughs> that you need to match your ID, last number of your ID with the license, with your license plate. Yeah. Know? It was so, oh my God, but I, I don't know if you want to explain more how yeah. the circulation now is, how is the, you know, the procedure that you have to check. I know like, for example, like my family goes, um, 
on those days to Oahuona, which is uh, currently my grandma is, uh, how they need mm-hmm. to pass a bunch of like, you know, stops and how they get sanitized the entire cars. Um, I don't know if you want to mm-hmm. elaborate more on that. Yeah, uh, let me let me paint you a picture of how, how that goes. <laughs> so every Sunday, um, there's mm-hmm. a presidential address every day. Like we call it here, Cadena Nacional. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saying presidential address because that's the strongest translation I can think of. But Juan Orlando is not mm-hmm. always the one doing it. But every mm-hmm. day there's one uh, around like 8, 9 p.m. They tell you the number of dead, the number of new cases, and if there's any updates on anything, right? But the Sunday one is the is the one people care about because mm-hmm. it's when they tell you what are the new rules, if the rules have changed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like you said, you get to go out based on the last number of your ID. So, mm-hmm. and right now the, the way it's working is this Monday, for instance, today, the day we're recording, it only number six can go out. So if your ID ends in mm-hmm. six, you can go out tomorrow is seven, eight, nine, and until zero on Friday. And then Saturday mm-hmm. and Sunday, no one is supposed to be outside. Mm-hmm. And then next Monday, we start with one, two, three, four, five until Friday. And that's the way it's been mm-hmm. going on for the past two, maybe three months, maybe even longer. Um, but there was a while there where no one could go out. So that's what people really tune in for, right? That update of who mm-hmm. can go out when. Now I'm going to tell you that that is absolutely complete, excuse me, bullshit. Like, I I am, mm-hmm. my number is seven and I was out today getting medicine at the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time you go out to get a test, like, what are you going to do? Like, it's not like you can wait until your day comes up two weeks later. Like, you might be dead by mm-hmm. then, right? Um, there are some police checkpoints, but they don't really stop you. Like, uh, we mm-hmm. haven't been stopped once. At the beginning of this, mm-hmm. uh, my mom says they were stopping her every time. Like, at every checkpoint, she, was, she would mm-hmm. get stopped at the beginning of this. But um, that's not what's going on right now. And it, it makes absolute sense. You know, like there, there is not enough police power, police man, mm-hmm. manpower to do that. Like this is Tegucigalpa, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and people have learned what streets to take where the police won't be. So they know all the routes, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah like, <laughs> my grandma goes to work every day and she knows exactly how to avoid the police. And if they stop mm-hmm. you, you tell them like, I'm I I'm a, I am COVID positive. Like I am going to get a test or I am going to get a medicine. And what is the police going to do, right? So there was that one week mm-hmm. where they they came up with that car thing, and it was it was the following way. So the ID thing stayed like you could only go out by the last number of your ID, but also you could only go out depending of the last number of your car plate. And it was say Monday only even numbers. Tuesday, only odd numbers. Wednesday, mm-hmm. only even numbers. So people were like, okay, so what if it is my number, ID number day, but it is not my plate day? Like, do I borrow someone <laughs> else's car? Do I go by food? And what oh if it's my, my like, am I supposed to send my car by itself? Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was just yeah. ridiculous to be honest. <laughs> people, people were laughing and they created a lot of memes, right? And it was like trending everywhere. And Sinahed one day later was like, actually, never mind. That was like, that was not a good idea. What, ha- yeah. what, what was interesting about this what I've heard is that people say this was that was actually a distraction because that just happened to happen right after um, the whole invest Honduras the whole money thing mm-hmm. went, went missing like the whole money stuff was like mm-hmm. where is the money and where are the hospitals and what's mm-hmm. going on 
So that was trending on Twitter for several days. The hashtag, where is the money? Donde está el dinero? And then after this Sina Head thing, of course that stopped trending because people were making memes and fun about this uh, mm-hmm. new rule. So they say that this was, it was purposefully ridiculous. So people would stop mm-hmm. tweeting about the money. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I can't believe it. You know, yeah. it's, it's, mm-hmm. it is that sad. And I, I have talked with Susie about this. About the, I I know this is something like out of topic, but I have talked with Susie about the meme, the meme culture in Honduras. Like, mm-hmm. I personally think that it's so, it's it's funny, you know, it's, it's funny. funny. <laughs> it's very funny how mm-hmm. the memes in Honduras start on segundos after some politicians say something <laughs> dumb. It's seconds. Yeah. It's like yeah. it, it, everything just like blow up, and you have this the best memes in your Facebook page that, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just like that. And it's very <laughs> funny, but, um, and I can truly, uh, you know, understand what you're saying, you know, maybe it was in distraction and how everything has been going on. And especially when, um, uh, mm-hmm. when the president, um, Oh like yeah. To, you know, uh, mm-hmm. gave positive on, on COVID, how people were not believing him that he was positive and mm-hmm. how, you know, many people were like, oh, he's going to think that uh, he's going to say that se, que se va a morir. or, you know, even when the person who was in charge of buying the, the, mm-hmm. the hospitals, then later he's like, oh, I, I am positive on, on COVID. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you see this trend of like people that I've been, you know, put like put on the, the light of you know they're doing corruption and all these bad mm-hmm. things that they always do in now their new answer is like oh tengo tengo covid tengo covid mm-hmm. and it, they're seeing that as a way of escape scandals and any you know things that can be you know as a result yeah. of you know their actions i don't know if you want to say what it was going on in honduras when uh, <laughs> yeah. juan orlando dio positivo yeah i remember that day so clearly um so I remember because we found out through Instagram, through a meme, and then he confirmed it in like the national address at night, right? He was like, yeah, I want to inform the government, I want to inform the people that I've tested positive, and my wife also tested positive, and two people that work for him had also tested positive. To the moment, I only feel tired, uh, my wife is doesn't have any symptoms, whatever, whatever, and then two days later, he was hospitalized in El Hospital Militar. What many people critique when that happened was that why did he go to El Hospital Militar and not to El Hospital Escuela or El Torax? Like, yep. if he had so much confidence in, if he has so much confidence in our health system and how he has managed this pandemic, mm-hmm. why didn't he go and get treated like everyone else has been getting treated, right? Mm-hmm. And then there were a lot of speculation, like a lot of speculation that it was fake. They, mm-hmm. There was this photo circulated of him when he was getting tested. Uh, I think he uploaded it or maybe seen ahead uploaded it where um he didn't have a beer and then the day that he said he was positive he did have a beer so mm-hmm. people were like like what like is this a double people were saying he was it was a double but mostly the prominent theory was that this was happening because he was going to fake his own death and mm-hmm. then run away to some oh other country God. yeah because because um, uh, mm-hmm. sorry uh, is it because it came after after that they asked that they were gonna start an investigation yes. of him. Yes, yeah. that's that's right. Like it's not a, it's not. I don't think it's a big secret that the president has been linked, and like so many times with drug dealing. Like right, his his brother mm-hmm. is in, is in prison in New York. 
for drug dealing. Um, he's known for this. He's well known for this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, people were saying that it was his way of escaping uh, facing justice, and I'm putting that in mm-hmm. in quotations because when people say facing justice, they refer to being extradited to the United States and facing mm-hmm. American justice, which I don't I don't mm-hmm. know if that equals justice for my country. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, people were saying that that he was trying to take his death and get out of the country and this way avoid being being taken by Los Gringos. Another thing people were saying around that time, another very popular rumor was that he was gonna do un auto golpe de estado, so like overthrow mm-hmm. himself from government and then still run it through the military. So it, it was I remember it felt like it still does. We were like, this feels like a freaking movie. Like we're just waiting for something <laughs> to happen. And every day we're tuning in to the news and like here in my house, like we have the TV on all day and we're just mm-hmm. waiting for more news and more news and more news. And it's probably super unhealthy. I was just going to say something about how, you know, as you say, you know, La Cadena Nacional, I feel like every Honduran and every person who has been in Honduras will understand that que la, ellos aman cadenas nacionales, you mm-hmm. know. I remember, oh my God, en el golpe de estado, how many cadenas nacionales oh había. And I, that song is internalized that I cannot even hear it because <laughs> it will remind me of the moment I needed to be in front of the of the TV. I probably have changed the song, but uh, <laughs> it is it is that song that it, I remember, you know, even, even dancing in school, that. Yeah, it's just a horrible song to, for me to yeah. remember. But, you know, this, this is very common in Honduras. You have to be honestly in frente del TV para estar, you know, see what's going on. And, and this is common, you know, for media that most of the time has is not going to deliver, you know, accurate information. I'm not putting, you know, mm-hmm. the media in Honduras down, but it is it has been, you know, very common that they, you know, Ponen algunas informaciones que no las quieren decir because it will sí. talk against, you know, the government. It has mm-hmm. been, and it's very, very common. One, another thing that I wanted to ask you, if you, um, if you can cover uh, of the media, you know, coverage in Honduras, also of how um, there's a new migrant caravan leaving Honduras currently. And, you know, sure. if, if that has been, you know, for the past years, how, you know, migrant caravans has been going you know on to you know reach all the way to the united states now with this pandemic how is that even you know how we understand that right now the levels of unemployment are like worse than before before we're bad like now they're worse but Mm -hmm. how can you know now these migrants are, are leaving and now they're they have to go through all these countries where you know it, we're still in a pandemic. They still need to take care of themselves and mm-hmm. how they see, you know, migration as their only way out. When this country that we have been talking, you know, Honduras in specific, literally, is just ignoring the people that are dying in front of their, if literally in los pasillos, in front of the, of their hospitals because they're in line for a test, they're in line for medicine, and they cannot acquire that. See, um, I mean. Of course, like like you said, unemployment is skyrocketing, right? Honduras is a country mm-hmm. that, even before this pandemic, over 60% of the population lives uh, in mm-hmm. extreme poverty. 
right now, like Alejandra, like I've to, like I've told you both, Alejandra and Susan, I've lived here mm-hmm. for 19 years, all my life. My family has all lived here, like my mom, my grandma, mm-hmm. my great grandma, and I I know like what what the poverty in, in Las Calles de Tegucigalpa looks like, mm-hmm. right? I know what's mm-hmm. a, like I guess quote unquote a normal amount of peddlers, a normal amount of people asking mm-hmm. for money. Right now, it's mm-hmm. insane. Like if you go anywhere, mm-hmm. anywhere. There's so many people in the streets and they, they usually they will come up to you, right? And talk to you through the car window if you have it down mm-hmm. or, or, you know, tap it. But right now they won't do that because you won't open because of the virus. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they carry, they carry this like card, like cardboard things. Yeah. Cardboards. And they have like written in them like, por favor, una ayuda, eh, lo que sea, para comprar pañales, leche, eh, Dios lo bendiga. Mm-hmm. It always ends with that. Dios lo bendiga. There's just so many people, right? And of course, people now with the, with the virus, like no one wants to lower their window and, and risk mm-hmm. getting exposed by giving out money or, or anything, right? So it is absolutely not sur- surprising that a new caravan is heading out because it's not just about poverty, right? Like you would mm-hmm. think that because of the pandemic, other things would would decrease like, like crime, for instance, but that's not true. Mm-hmm. Just at the beginning of this month, um, un periodista, another another journalist, was murdered in La Ceiba, mm-hmm. uh, probably for speaking out against the government. You know, between March and April, domestic violence reports went up twenty percent. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as we, as, as I'm sure you know, it is in Honduras of the of all the domestic violence and sexual violence. Um, that happens less than 90% goes on without any sort of retaliation. Mm-hmm. Like it is, they, they have absolute impunity. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that is absolutely not surprising. Like just two days ago, uh, four Garifuna leaders went missing and, mm-hmm. and yeah. And apparently they were taken by military people right. by soldiers. So, uh, I mean, y- yes, it is like, Poverty is becoming way stronger. There's a lot of unemployment. And also, um, there's other things going on. Like, crime is the same. Uh, domestic violence is the same. Just just this morning, um, uh, we were sleeping. And at 4 a.m., we heard some noise. And my mom was like, I, I can swear there's someone outside. And I'm like, there's someone outside. And she's like, there's someone outside because I can hear the neighbor's dogs barking, blah, blah, blah. And then there was no one outside, but we were just laying in bed and neither of us could fall asleep because, we know, you know, we were a little nervous. And she was like, it's going to get so much worse. That's what she said to me. She was like, it's going to get so much worse in the next month. Like crime is going to skyrocket for us. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, right now, like what it reminds me. So I have relatives in Guate right now. Um, And of course, it doesn't seem... It's getting worse there. It has been for the past three weeks, you know, and it's like, oh, like, we know the worst of it is going to come soon. Um, And of course, like the healthcare system is like definitely collapsing at this point. And it's like even reaching like rural areas. Um, But like, it just reminds me right now of like the, you know, like talking about like crime and stuff like that, just about the desperation that exists because like, mm-hmm. I know for like maybe a month or two, you know, like they've been putting up like the white flags in Guate, you know, to like indicate that mm-hmm. they need um, food. And I think the mm-hmm. red flag is for they need medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now my, 
aunt was telling my family how the ambulances are only coming at night to pick up the bodies because during the day then people want to come to those households that have like a corpse and mm-hmm. essentially burn the whole house down yeah yeah because they're scared of like that corpse you know of course like if that if one person died like the whole household has covid and they just want to burn mm-hmm. the whole house down and it's just you know um it's just a whole different level of you know desperation you know that i can't relate to you know it obviously like from an outsider it's like oh my god like they want to like burn a whole household what is that gonna do but it's like again like they've been in there for like cooped up for like three four months you know and it's like until now the worst of it's gonna come the consequences Mm -hmm. are gonna be probably long term because it's such you know these countries have so much poverty um you know and it's like on a different level i think than like for example than maybe like again like for a lot of our listeners that may be based in the u.s like the poverty in central america looks very different um not to like minimize the poverty that exists here of course um so just you know like what's happening on duras you know and you're also talking most a lot about like the busigalpa you know it's like talking about it's probably there's less resources and less attention in rural areas and this isn't happening just in duras you know this is happening in a lot of like other central american communities countries um but also just like in a lot of countries that like you know don't have a lot of resources or don't have a lot of money that are outside of central america you know and it's just um i don't like it's like the instinct you know it's like wow that's awful and i don't know like is there any action that can be taken you know from like us like oh, from God. abroad that like you could recommend Yeah, that's that's a loaded question because um, I'm, there are a bunch of fundraisers. I, I know that for sure. There are a bunch of fundraisers either mm-hmm. by organizations, like I said, uh, the doctors in Hospital Escuela were, you know, asking for donations to buy stuff. And there's also, I'm sure, my, my like individual families and people who need it. Mm-hmm. But I think like the big thing is... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something that uh, I, I wish I had brought up before, but recently the New York Times uh, published this thing where it said that Honduras is one of the countries that is best handling the pandemic. Oh, what? This was like, yeah, this was like two what? or three days ago. Are you, are you kidding? kidding? <sighs> I did not it see is, that. Yeah, oh, it's Lord. so fucked up. And um, it is based obviously in, a, in the number of death, which as of today is like 890 something. And Mm-hmm. This is where I must tell you, like, the number of death, it's, it's not that. Like, that's the number of death confirmed right. with COVID, like, yeah. that the person right. actually tested positive. And also the mm-hmm. doctors who, who do the work of testing people and so on have said that they have, like, a, a five to seven day delay. So the numbers that are being published today, they do not reflect what happened today. They reflect what happened five days ago. So think of all the days that are, like, backed up mm-hmm. as far as deaths, mm-hmm. as far as positive cases and so on. And so, you know, I think that the big thing is staying, staying educated and educating others in, yeah. in, in any way we can and like bringing light and attention to, mm-hmm. to what's going on. Because, you know, there's other small things that are also going on. Like, for instance, um, La Red Lesbica Catracha, which is an organization, a lesbian organization here in Honduras, they mm-hmm. went out to donate blood in the middle of this mm-hmm. pandemic. 
and they were mm-hmm. allowed to donate blood in lo que tal escuela but the la, la cruz roja said no because because they're gay what you know, how yeah, do they so, find, find out they were gay? I think because they went as the as the organization, like oh, as the, the organization. But still, yeah. what? But still, man, like the uh, Red Cross too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, oh, man. the Red Cross here under it. So I think it's like staying updated and following all those all those organizations that are doing really good work here in Honduras, like La Red Lesbica Catracha, El Foro de Mujeres. Uh, I follow. I get my news from Contra Corriente, not from oh, any. <laughs> And yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't like La Prensa and all of that. They they absolutely do not report the truth. Mm, okay. No. Yeah. No, definitely no. Uh, I was gonna uh, talk, uh, ask you a couple of little uh, more question was um when you know how long we have been in lockdown, but in Honduras mainly for like four months already, right? Mm-hmm. And even with all this pandemic going on. And with, you know, all these horrible things that have happened to our health system, there's one thing that I wanted to point out, how mm-hmm. it was this new Código Penal. And I wanted to Ooh. say it because mm-hmm. the Congress, people were trying to pass this Código Penal that mm-hmm. would not only benefit those horrible people those people that have raped girls, those people that have, you know, have, you know, cases of corruption, cases of drug mm-hmm. dealing, people, los que molestan a las niñas, los que, mm-hmm. you know, like, that rape ki- kids, they were trying to lower el, el tiempo que ellos pueden estar en, en la cárcel. And this is all going on when we have a crisis in Honduras. It's mm-hmm. like... When I found out about the Código Penal, I'm not going to tell you how ugly and nasty I felt because, you know, at first as a woman, second mm, and third, yeah. as a person who, you know, grew up in Honduras and loved my country as much as I do, and seeing how I have cousins, how I have tías, tengo primas, que muchas personas de mi familia que murieron por femicidio when I was over there, seeing mm. all this, lower the really and then when it's a crisis like in the pandemic how can you think about bajarle la condena a delincuentes que hacen daño a you know a mujeres y otras cosas más sí. cuando hay gente muriendo so i don't know if you want to touch more about like how was the situation of el código penal and if it yeah. actually went because nobody knew nobody knows so so yeah we find out about this because of el senior right uh, which is like the organization that it's not it's not government run, but they they are in, like they're they're anti corruption. That's her, their whole thing, and they're constantly posting and bringing attention to el Código Penal, this new Código Penal, which, like you said, what it proposed was lowering sentences for rapists, lowering sentences for pedophiles, lowering sentences for corruption for people involved in corruption, lowering sentences for drug dealers, and ha- applying new sentences. Like severe, severe mm-hmm. um, persecution against people who spoke out against the government, either by social media or whatever, in any form or way. And around the day that it was going to pass, like 20 days before, it, it got a lot of heat, right? People started expressing themselves against it. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone was like, absolutely not. We, do not. we don't approve of it. And then this historic thing happened when... A few 
a day before it was supposed to start being valid, the opposition, like whatever number of diputados que hay en el Congreso, en la oposición, held an emergency Zoom meeting where they were, you only needed half of all the diputados, the total diputados, la mitad needed to show up mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. it to be, uh, for it to be like not passed. And they did. Mm-hmm. And it was historic. Everyone was so happy. Like, okay, so it's not happening. There's no new penal code. Like, it's not happening mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. But then, but then the, the ruling party, los nacionalistas, they said that it did have, like, that, that, that didn't count. It is absolutely, uh, valid now. Like, the new penal code is not, it's not a thing. So, if, no one really knows because the opposition says something and the, and los nacionalistas dicen otra cosa, verdad? Mm-hmm. And it's not being covered by media because we all <laughs> because know. Never cover stuff. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it was just, it was just a big thing. Another thing that happened was that before it was, before it went into, before the whole diputados thing happened, the the ruling party invited people from, like, people to have a dialogue mm-hmm. about it. And they specifically invited influencers, which was mm-hmm. very controversial here in Honduras because everyone mm-hmm. was asking, why didn't you invite experts? Why didn't you invite law students? Mm-hmm. Why didn't you invite El CNA? Which is your generation that has been opposing this for a year, for over a year. Why did you handpick? Because they handpicked and invited exactly. like through an invitation sent to specific people that are considered influencers here in Honduras. Everyone was like, absolutely not, because those people don't have the knowledge. Um, it is elitist to an extent to say like these people are going to be the ones I'm going, I'm willing to have a dialogue with about the new penal code. Oh, okay, yeah, because I, I mean, it's 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 just horrifying, you know, like mm-hmm. it's. But just even to think it, and you know, like you said, you know, it's in putting new norms and new laws for people like protesting, like that should be, you know, a, a form of us, you know, actually asking the government to, you know, keep the government on check, right? But no, like they just want to keep putting these laws and these things. And it, for me, it was just, I mean, if one is about one, it shouldn't be even, even to be discussed to lower like a sentence to someone like that. Second, like, how can you even think about that when we're in the middle of pandemic? Like it's just it's it's just horrible and ay, todo lo que se puede decir. How how we can end it is like um mm-hmm. if you can just uh for you, Bessie, if there's any hope for something in Honduras, because <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I know it's, it's 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 even hard to even say it in that mm-hmm. term, but like if I didn't have hope before, like, I don't even think I fucking have hope right now. Sí, o sea, mira, at the end of those um, national addresses that happen every night, at the end of those national addresses, um, they always end with Yo Bendi Honduras. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's it's so ironic because the whole time people, like, you watch it and you're saying, like, bullshit, this is a lie. Everything they say, you're like, this is a lie, this is a lie, this is a lie, there's no way. And then they say, Dios bendiga Honduras. And you just go like, amen. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if I'm in a place to talk about hope. But what I, mm-hmm. what I will say is that, you know, this is this is our country. And things haven't been bad for one year. They have been bad for a very long time. Yeah. For a very long time. And we don't seem to have any strong opposition leaders that are going to rise up 
at least not in the popular um, parties. Mm-hmm. But what has been very, I don't want to say hard touching. I feel like that's that's not mm-hmm. the word I'm looking for. Is the way people have shown up for people here. Like mm-hmm. when the when when the hospital escuela asked for pillows and and stuff, like people showed up and they mm-hmm. delivered. You know, we keep showing up for ourselves, and we. It seems like we've reached this consensus that the government is not going to show up for us. So it's so mm-hmm. we will be the ones to sure. support each other and pull each other through this. So I think that's where I found where I have found hope here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just hope in the people, because then yeah. See, <laughs> sí, correct. I'm just gonna say that uh, thank you for having me. Uh, this has been really great to just be able to talk and, and vent a little about everything going on. Yeah, thank you so much, Gussie, for you know being open. I know this isn't easy, um, and I imagine it's, it's very frustrating, um, but thank you. I think it's really important for us, for a lot of us to know like how grave the situation is so that, again, you know, we can at least educate ourselves, but also see how we can apply that also Again, it's if it's happening in Honduras, it's it's not happening. It's not only happening there; it's happening in other places. So, I I thank you a lot for being willing to talk about this with us. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Don't forget to check out our website at centralamericanvoices.com, where you can subscribe to our mailing list. Also, follow us on Instagram at Centan Voices Podcast and on Twitter at Centan Voices Pod for more updates. And don't forget to come back next week to hear our newest episode.